Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mammoth. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with the Corp. Y'all know what we do, man. <laughs> Y'all know. Listen, man, we try to drop. Come on, Simon, man. Give me them air horns right here. More fire for your head top. And look, today is no different. I ain't even going to get into a huge, um, long kind of like intro before I get into the interview because our interview was kind of long, but I really want y'all to hear all of it. Um, I interviewed someone who is a strong, seriously, like one of the leaders within the DNI space when you talk about like presenting uh, content around intersectionality, diversity, inclusion. Um, her name is Jennifer Brown. She's a facilitator. She's a public speaker. She's a consultant. She's an educator. Um, she has a background in change management. So there's a lot of uh, symbiosis between the both of us. Um, and we had a really dope discussion just about what it really means to be inclusive as a leader. And then we had a conversation, like kind of like a meta discussion about the DNI space as an industry. If y'all remember, this is like way back in season one, um, we had Amy C. Weininger and then we had Drew, aka very white guy, on the show. And Drew talked a little bit about the um, like the 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 DNI as a business, right? And kind of like the the capitalistic or corporate nature of DNI and like what that looks like. And we had a conversation about that too. It's really interesting. Um, so anyway. What you're going to hear next is the discussion between Jennifer Brown and myself. She's uh, great people. Definitely can't wait to have her back on the show. Make sure y'all check out the show notes. You can look and see all of her information, including her latest two books. Okay. So make sure y'all check it out and we'll catch y'all next time. Peace. Jennifer, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Oh, thanks. I'm doing great. Trying to stay cool in this July. <laughs> Man, it is hot. <laughs> out yeah. Global uh, warming. Now I gave a brief <laughs> <laughs> for real. <laughs> now look, I gave a brief intro, but for those who don't know you, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Of course, yeah. I um, I let's see. I'm an author. I'm a keynoter. I'm a CEO and owner of a consulting business, all of which is focused on building more inclusive workplaces for all kinds of talent to thrive. Um, and it's a passionate personal mission that I have because I've been out since I was 22 and I'm in my forties now. And, um, but the workplace was a place where I couldn't really bring my full self to work. And honestly, it wasn't just being LGBTQ. I mean, the workplace has all sorts of inclusiveness problems, um, when it comes to people like, you know, us and, you know, most people actually, um, anyone that's not a certain mold. And so as somebody who has, I have a master's degree in opera, believe it or not, I came to New York to be an opera singer and that wow. did not work out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's crazy. Luckily, I reinvented as a corporate trainer because it's all this, uh, it's like being on the stage, you know, and connecting with audiences. It's just the topic is different. So I reinvented into that field, which remains really my field to this day. So we're really, we're a strategy and training company, and we're working across the Fortune 1000, I would say, on a daily basis. My team is all over the country. They're amazing. They're so talented at what they do. They have a lot more patience for client work than I do. <laughs> um, and yeah, we could talk about that if you want. Uh, but I've, I've been a consultant in the trenches for a long time, and I'm actually really thrilled now to kind of be more living the keynote and author life. Um, I just, I like it a lot. I love performing. I love big audiences. I like the challenge of thinking on my feet. I like um, having to write books 
on this topic and figure out like what does the world need me to write next and how do I take what I hear and learn and put it in a way that's digestible for people because it's really it's kind of like a life or death situation from an inclusion perspective and I, I, I deeply feel that for myself and many many others wow well Thank you for that. Mm. Awesome. I'm already, I'm already like my shoulders kind of bouncing up and down. It's going to be a good conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so today we're talking about inclusive leadership. And before we get too deep into it, can we get some definitions on these terms? Like from your point of view, yeah. diversity, inclusion, and intersectionality. Cause in a lot, in your content and in your, in your IP, both written and your presentations, like you use these terms a lot. And frankly, mm-hmm. your content is centered around these terms. Um, for our audience, I'd love it if we could just like level set what these things actually mean. Yes. And you need to consider the history of the conversation. So in the corporate and workplace context, diversity is really has been traditionally the who, right? The demographics, the representation in your workforce. Um, typically, it's count gender, right? Was Which is where it started and race and ethnicity. Um, it wants to count uh, LGBTQ and people with disabilities, but, you know, a lot of those folks can hide who they are, right? We, right. we are very good at hiding who we are and not checking boxes. Um, so diversity has really been that representation, the mix, the complexion of the workplace with a small C. Um, and then inclusion really is the how. So how do I make that mix work? You know, if I if diversity is the who in the mix, how do I make the mix work? To quote my friend Tyrone. Uh, Studemeyer, who um, is like a great chief diversity officer. He always uses that example. In fact, he brings a glass of milk on stage and pours in chocolate sauce, yeah. and then he stir he stirs it, and he has this bit that he does. Um, <laughs> so um, it's making the mix work, and honestly, that's really where behaviors come into play. And so it's, it's how, once you have that talent around the table, how do you make them want to stay? How do you include them, and how do you... How do you make them feel that they're they're valued? Um, and so inclusion is the how and the behaviors. And then intersectionality, something totally different. Um, it is the, the mix, I guess, of diverse identities that, that make uh, some of us who we are and kind of present unique challenges. Um, traditionally defined by Kimberly Crenshaw, of course, it's, it's the mix of multiple stigmatized identities that one person may carry. So um, why that's important is that I think, you know, anyone who looks at gender, for example, issues as a, a white women's topic is not taking into consideration how women of color impacted differently, how being a LGBTQ woman may mean that you're not only dealing with your gender and all the headwinds that come along with that, but you're dealing with the headwinds are relating to sexual orientation or yeah. say you have a, you know, non-binary gender expression or you are a woman of color and some of those things at the same time, um, or a woman with a disability. Um, uh, so, so it just goes on and on. And that's a very helpful thing for the rest of the world, I think, to help people understand the levels of, um, and I would use privilege with a small P. I know that word sets some people off, but, sure. you know, but I think we have to be realistic about some of us walking through the world feeling a lot safer And a lot more protected, a lot more supported, you know, right? You know, like a lot more um, that others are more comfortable with us because they're relatively more familiar with us. Um, And the sort of further you get away from, I guess, the straight white male norm that is is like it or not the, the whole of the top leadership in the business world, the further you get from that, I think the more difficulty you have in kind of seeing yourself in workplaces, in in being supported, grown, uh, invested in, welcomed, proactively fostered, you know, all the things that really like pull you up in an organization. So, you know, when you're different in, in multiple ways, it's, it's kind of difficult to ever feel that you're in that, um, in the place you should be, um, in the machine that is the workplace. So, you know, this is where people fall out, they quit, they can't stand it anymore. They, you know, they go and become entrepreneurs, which is great. Uh, you know, but sad for corporate corporations and large employers because, of course, you know, you're bleeding out all of your diverse talent because your culture is sort of something that people can't stand. Right. Um, that's a problem. <laughs> no, 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 you're absolutely right. And, and it's, it's interesting, right, because I was just having a conversation with, um, with a couple of close friends this morning. And I was talking about the fact that a lot of times 
you know, when we talk about DNI in the most common context, it almost feels like some, like really a competition between <laughs> white men and white women for number one, and then kind of everybody else falls to the wayside. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like we don't necessarily have like, I don't know if I'm necessarily always hearing like truly intersectional discussions about, um, around identity. I don't, I don't know. And I don't know Mm if uh, black women are often centered in those discussions. Of course, Mm -hmm. in the past couple of years, we've seen like more and more content come out about it. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be uh, a Debbie Downer, but I'm, (laughs) but (laughs) at the same time, but you're right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, here's a great example, right? So I think it was, yep. Indeed. So indeed just dropped a, um, a commercial and, uh, there was a it was like the, the the setting was like a boardroom right and the in the boardroom um a white man was in the front and he was getting a promotion right and like the boss was shaking his hand and everybody was clapping and then there was a, a white woman and she was just kind of standing there and it was clearly like by the, by the framing right of the commercial that she was passed over mm-hmm. for this promotion um and that the white man got the promotion over her right Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And so then she looks down at her phone and she kind of smirks because she gets a notification. She's getting an interview, you know, somewhere <laughs> else. Right. Oh, my God. Right. So she's like, oh, yeah. I'm leaving. And it said, indeed. You know, I was like, okay, cool. So great, <laughs> great, great, com- great commercial. But what's yep. interesting about that commercial was behind the white woman. Um, and I don't believe they did this intentionally, but maybe they did. And if they did, yo, they are mm. super cold. But mm. there was there was a black woman and a black man out of focus, right behind. Mm. And so oh, it was like super, <laughs> so wow. it was like super interesting. Like, oh, somebody needs to give that feedback. I'm sure they've heard about it already. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, and so like, just the, really? the, 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 but like the idea, but like the idea that <sighs> a lot of times we talk about DNI is often centered around gender. Um, mm-hmm. and we're not having really authentic discussions outside of that um and so so question for you you know in your book uh, inclusion diversity the new workplace and the will to change you discuss the nuances of privilege and you just talked about um lowercase privilege lowercase p privilege mm. um and mm-hmm. to make an effort not to vilify white men who have quote seemingly won the privilege lottery is it mm. possible to manage the egos of leaders who are in the majority <laughs> while also having <laughs> frank and accountable discussions about empowering black and brown professionals or just mm-hmm. non-white professionals in the workplace, you know, in your mm. work, what does that process look like to establish trust for those discussions? Yeah. I mean, that is really the work. And it's, I, I think it's like the third rail, honestly, it's funny being in the LGBTQ community. There's a level of strangely, a level of comfort and acceptance, um, of talking about being, I'm a proud ally, you know, or putting that rainbow sticker on your desk or, or right. in your email signature and it's fascinating to me because, by the way, the LGBTQ conversation is also not properly intersectional, right? So there's privilege dynamics playing out in my this community. I say my community, one of my communities. Um, you know that that women's voices aren't well heard. People of color in the LGBTQ community, trans people are not well heard, um, and are not represented in leadership positions in the workplace um, when we when it comes to affinity groups and things. So. So each community has its kind of diversity within its diversity challenges. Uh, so I just wanted to make that point because I, I often say just because you carry a marginalized identity or even two does not make you an inclusive leader. Like, so I, I, wish, I, I wish it were true. But it's not. And it's been proven to me over and over again um, that, you know, I, I've made that assumption and I've kind of been wrong. Like I've been shocked by what people say. Mm. And so so these like a lack of that intersectional lens and that inclusive lens can live in all of us, by the way, um, elitism and, you know, that, um, you know, that blindness and bias um, unchecked. So anyway, so that's one point I want to make. But um, so how do we center uh, more black and brown voices when the leadership of so many companies, and when you say they are the majority, we always have to clarify. I, I say majority in leadership positions because if you look in the aggregate in most companies, of course, um, right. <laughs> you know, women are the majority. That's absolutely um, and, right. Yeah. right. And then a lot of diverse ethnic diversity lives in different functional areas of the business and, yeah. you know, whatever, right? But, but it just, it totally thins out, like when you go up the org chart, right? 
So the problem is all the power lies with a sort of a, v- a very homogeneous group. And so the onus is on that group to acknowledge that the world is more and more black and brown, right? That they that they have to build that competency and cross those bridges of understanding. And, and they have to know how to build trust with their workforce, um, both current and future, by the way, which is most likely not going to look like them. Right. And then they've got to do it in such a way that they, that then their employee and their leadership base looks like the world that they serve, um, which is increasingly female, right? Think about the buying decisions. Think about the, the um, exploding buying power of the black community. The LGBTQ community is now a trillion dollars of buying power. I mean, it's massive. So um, any brand that's worth anything and any leader that's worth anything must look at this, should look at this and say, you know, my... My demographic group, maybe it was okay for me not to understand what keeps people in the organization I'm a part of or keeps people on my team or how to be a good colleague and sort of step out of my shoes and think about what the other person's experience is like. But, um, you know, I better start to pay attention to this. Um, And it. so my argument is always like I I throw the business case to people, the demographic argument to people. Sometimes it's a moral argument. (laughs) Sometimes somebody, you know, has kids of a different race than they are. Sometimes they have lots of daughters. Like sometimes, you know, they have a, a unique view on all of this. And so when you, you know, a, a somebody that looks like a white straight guy, you know, you just never know what their diversity story might be. Yeah. Might be. Yeah. And um, I've been just shocked and reminded that, you know, I can I can walk in a room and people assume I know nothing about this topic, you know, and that's happened to me. I've yeah. been on the receiving end of that. So um, and there are things I don't know for sure. But for sure. but I but I desperately want people to listen to my story and yes. somehow kind of wedge my way in and yeah. and make them listen and convince them and all those things. So um, being LGBTQ helps with that. Um, so I'm this interesting hybrid of, you know, being of an identity that people are more comfortable with, like based on maybe what they see, yeah. but then coming out and challenging them where, to the point where like you can hear a pin drop when I do that. Right. And that's kind of, let me tell you, it's pretty uncomfortable when you're standing there in front of like a thousand mostly men in like light blue short shirts and khakis. <laughs> you're like, how's this going to go? <laughs> uh, you know, so I, it, it's, it takes for all of us, you know, I think it takes bravery to show ourselves. Um, for some of us with invisible aspects of diversity, it takes kind of an, a unique kind of bravery to be like, no, like make no mistake. Like this is actually who I am. Um, and particularly if it's a vulnerable aspect of who you are, um, it can, it can feel really risky. That can include like divulging about a disability or, you know, mental health and addiction issues or age, you know, there's, there's just this like widespread hesitation to bring our full selves to work on so many counts. Um, but when you are black and brown, of course, the, the, the issue can be, I, I can't opt not to show who I am. Like who I am is often, you know, visible and it trigger it will trigger the biases if those are there right and so it's this inter- it's conversation we always have about it's not the pain olympics and that's so important to remember like that it's not it's not a race to the to the through the oppression hierarchy to right. say right it's because it's sort of that's a useless conversation i think we we have to think about like what's the damage that happens when you know we feel shame or the, we feel compelled to downplay who we are, even if it's very visible to others. Um, and how can we, how can we support each other's voices and create that safety for each other? And that's yeah. that's what I think about every day. Like if I have been given some kind of privilege with a small p or several of uh, ways that I and it, that has been totally unearned by me, my obsession is like what what responsibility and opportunity does that come with? And which is interesting because I'm in an L- the LGBT community, which is so used to needing that allyship, right? We we think about, we we struggle to bring our full selves and be comfortable and we hide, you know? And so allies really bring us out, right? They they stand alongside us and say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll tell your story. I'll be next to you. I'll have your back. It feels amazing to have that. And I... I know what that feeling feels like. And so I am turning around and like trying to do that for others in with my people, which often is my lovely, often good hearted, you know, white, straight male executive clients, you know, to say, how can we help you bridge to the future? Because 
opting out is not an is that's not an option. You know, I, I think and the, the more clued in ones know this, and I think people are mostly feeling just really like wanting to do more, very awkward, very afraid. Um, I know in in the light of Me Too, it's just purely a gender conversation. The yeah. You know, that lean-in research that came out a couple months ago says that, like, male leaders are, like, even more afraid now to be in these one-on-one scenarios with female mentees or colleagues. And it's really discouraging, and it's definitely going in the wrong direction. Um, and so, But I think that fear is, is probably bigger than just cross-gender. I think that it's just kind of any moves you might make to say, hey, I want to be an inclusive leader. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. I really, really want to be better. Yeah. But how am I going to learn? How am I going to learn this thing that I'm going to get wrong? And where am I going to learn it? And how am I going to know that I'm getting it wrong? Mm. And then how, I'm gonna, how am I going to be given a chance to develop better skills? And that's um, that's a very legitimate question. So I think, I think we've got to all kind of give each other a lot of uh, birth and also proactive support these yeah. days yeah. to learn and, and we got to do that in partnership with each other because otherwise we were learning in a vacuum and that's that's hard to do it's so complex though right because it's <clears> like <throat> it's like it's like there has to be space for grace and then there also is like on both sides because there's grace for you yes. to learn there's mm. grace for me to give you space to learn but then there's also there has to be humility for you to receive that learning right and then, mm-hmm. and then there needs to be empathy on the person who is learning for the for their teacher in that that there's a level of emotional labor <laughs> right. right that right. goes into me even talking to you yes. about this at all right i right. had a conversation right. with some colleagues um like about a month or so ago and i was talking to them and i was like look like something had happened something happened and um you know it was an educational discussion and and part of my conversation said hey i said you know i don't talk about this because it's exhausting i said but mm-hmm. i said but being in these majority white spaces just me being here is exhausting. Mm. And I, and I explained mm. that to them. I said, and that's, it's not just me. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Um, in, in, in some way or form or shape for someone in a minority to engage in majority spaces. Like it, it is. Yeah. And, yeah. and so like, you know, for the people that are doing the work to educate and train and teach or part or even partner, like that's, like there, there needs to be That's some real. on that part. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we talk a lot about compassion fatigue. Um, and I think that, and then NAS being asked to step forward and represent an entire community in their experience, which you and I know is never, never going to be accurate. <laughs> um, if you're just one person right. talking about your experience, Not but, um, right. right. But, um, you, what you're talking about is something, what I say in my next book, right. How to be inc- an inclusive leader is that you need to do 80% of the emotional labor yourself before you ask someone to help you on your journey. Oh, I love it's that. It's so important, yes. And so for me, what that looks like is I, I intentionally consume certain media, for example. I listen to certain podcasts. I watch certain films. I acquaint myself with cultural norms um, across communities that are not mine, right? I... I um, and and in some cases it's a struggle through some of that media because that media is not built for you. Right. It's not a conversation for you. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and I've had white friends and I talk about like a podcast we may love, like one I love called Still Processing. I don't oh, know if yeah. you know it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Still processing. So good. Shout out to y'all. Yes. <laughs> oh, so good, so good. And um, they're queer too. Like I just love them. I mean, there's talk about intersectional. They're brilliant. Yeah, they're great. Um, and anyway, uh, and I have sometimes have a hard. Hard time keeping up with it, but also getting all the cultural references. And sometimes even I will feel, gosh, like I'm such an outsider. And this is so uncomfortable for me to try to hang in with the conversation. And then I say to myself, and this is what I say to leaders, notice the discomfort because this is what other people feel every single day in majority white spaces, right. every day <laughs> of their lives, right? Yes. Like you're uncomfortable for one second, <laughs> right? Yes. Like get used to it. Like you should be putting yourself in this discomfort all the time because this is the competency. Like this is the skill that you need to learn so that you get some iota of empathy for what it feels like every single day right. for other people. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is um, we just had an LGBTQ, L- we called it LBTQ, it was just for women actually, uh, so we dropped the G, which yeah, okay. <laughs> is, you know, people can have issues with it, but we, we dropped the G, it was just meant for Q-identified women, okay. um, and we had this big conference, and we asked, we had a ton of diversity on the stage, which was my 
my commitment. And um, we had a couple activists that were trans women of color. And they said, and they said, I, I will come, but I want you to know, like, pride is exhausting for me. It was in June. It's exhausting for me. It's exhausting for me to walk into corporate spaces, to educate, to be the, that voice on stage. Um, and you know, I, I'm sort of doing this, but I want you to know it's like a lot of labor for me. And I want, I guess for all of us that put panels together, for all of us that are speakers and on panels, it was such a learning for me to understand that when you ask someone, you're trying to be inclusive and you, <laughs> but it is so seen through this lens of, oh, I can take the day, go speak at this conference because I work for myself or, you right. know, I'm <laughs> right. I'm an activist or an advocate. Like an activist is not, doesn't always look the same or have the same level of privilege or income. What is the lost income from taking a day out to go into a space you're not comfortable in and educate people about your experience? Like, I, it was really humbling. And what we ended up doing, by the way, and this may be helpful advice is, is for all the speakers that day, we had 30 speakers. Um, we really want to intend that we take up, we, we have a stipend and honorarium for people to, to, who take the time out to come into that space. Um, there's a question of real money, you know, for, you know, to offset that time and that labor. And again, this was another kind of learning for a lot of privileged people people of the privilege that allows them to come in and speak all the time on things that have a full-time job, you know, that have benefits that aren't on, you know, witnessing, you know, the, the, the really, really painful reality of certain parts of our community every day. Um, I, I just thought it was, it was a really interesting demonstration within a marginalized community of sort of the gulf in our experiences, right? Um, even Absolutely. within LBTQ women. So I think being mindful of intersectionality all the time, it's incumbent It's incumbent on anybody who has that platform, that voice, that comfort, um, to whatever degree, to ensure spaces are, are diverse, to ensure voices are elevated, to center stories that aren't our own, and to make sure that, that those stories are, are given the proper um, platform and that people aren't, aren't overly requested to give of their time and education um but that means that means that each white person each man you know when they support gender equality i would ask like what are you reading what research do you have under your belt like what are you how are you exercising your muscle to to show up in allyship um and and what are you doing and then and only then can you ask for tweaks and feedback from people in affected communities you know did, did what I say resonate? Um, did I do this justice? Did I use my voice in the right way? What more could I have done? Right. Like, what feedback would you have for me? Yeah. Um, that can be asked, but so much has to be done <laughs> and earned before that. And then bring somebody in to give you that, that feedback and make you better. Because, you know, without that feedback, I can promise you, people aren't going to get better and they're just going to keep stumbling. And stumbling is not good for anyone. <laughs> it's, no, you're absolutely it's right. humiliating. And, and the, the, th- <laughs> the thing about it is there's nothing. So the, I think the only thing worse than being loud and wrong is being really polished and wrong. Right? Ooh, that's interesting. Right. So like, it's like, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. you got all, you, you're talking, you know, you got all the presentation. Oh, and, sure, sure. And you, and you know, you got your little clicker and you got your three points <laughs> and your, <laughs> your, so your pantsuit looks great. Oh my gosh. It's in the corporate wrong. speak. Right. It's in the corporate it speak. Is. You got all that, but people it's, can it, see through it, but you're, and you're absolutely <clears> wrong. And, and, and your, your earlier point about, about pride. Yeah. And like this, this past, this past year was so big because it was the 50th, 50th anniversary. Right. Of Snowball. And, um, and it's interesting because you talk about uh, you were talking just a, a bit about like the um, the dissonance there and like the emotional labor for everyone who is a, a minority. But then specifically, you we're talking about uh, trans activists. And it was so interesting because I believe I believe it was on the 30th, like right at the end of Pride. There was a mm-hmm. situation at Stonewall Inn where um, uh, there was a desire from, from a trans uh, woman to to speak up. She wanted to talk a little bit about the day and just reflect and she was shouted down no. by, yeah, by, by the, by, by gay men, um, who were there, um, in, in names of, Hey, we just want to party. We don't want to hear all that. And, yeah, and eventually, yeah. eventually she was able to speak um, Thank and, goodness. She, and she spoke for about 12 minutes, but it was just really, you know, she, she read the names wow. of uh, the black trans women who died and facts and, and the disproportionate 
abuse and oppression that black trans women um, have and continue to face. And so you're absolutely right. Like, and I, I think it's incredible. I have, I've yet to have the privilege to um, directly interview um, a black trans activist. Like that's actually a a serious. (gasps) I can hook you up. Well, let's, let's do it. Let's (laughs) talk about that after the interview for sure. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, I, it's been such a learning for me. Um, And this is why I feel so, the ally energy in me these days, even in, in the LGBTQ community, technically that I'm in, yeah. um, I feel so activated as a, as, and I don't even want to say like, I'm an ally because we're only allies when others give us that, give us that yes. name and that honor. Yes. Right. Yes. But, um, I'll tell you, I, I, whether it's me as a cis woman, you know, I spend my time on the keynote stage asking people in the audience, how many of you know what I mean by, you know, sharing our pronouns and why it's important and how many of you know what cisgender means and, 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 and sharing my identity and coming out as cisgender so that I, or sharing my pronouns so that I don't, I'm not acting like heterosexuality and cisgenderness is normal. Mm, you know, yeah. we have to make it visible yeah. in order to even point out to people that this, we shouldn't be assuming this is normal and you shouldn't be walking around every day um, assuming everybody shares your identity, like, and we've done that. I mean, so many of us have been so comfortable, and you know, I'll share. You know, the statistic probably, but it's so startling that one of out of every five people under thirty-four is non-cis and non-straight. So one out of five. Wow. So as wow. you walk around your life, as you hire people, as you work with teams, as yeah. you meet customers, one out of five. And yet the chances are that they're hiding that from you and they're not comfortable. So what can you do to say, hey, this is a safe place. Like I am someone that you can bring your whole self to me, around me, and I will see you. And I will be op- I not only just open to it, but I will be embracing of it. Yeah. And I won't assume that like you're like me. I won't. You know, I will give you the chance to self-identify. Um, and I will self-identify. I will be brave in doing that because like I'm not going to put all the burden on you to talk about your experience, but I'm going to remain silent and not talk about mine. Um, and so I. And it's funny because I, I get a lot of questions afterwards. People come up to me and say, "How do I? How do I start that conversation with someone?" To say, hey, I, I'm doing my work. Um, I'm trying to learn. I want you to feel comfortable. What would you like me to know? You know, here, you know, and and I and we sort of walk through like, how do I even start that conversation? Because people are really, they just don't know how to begin, and they right. and they don't know whether it will come across as authentic. Yeah. Um, and they're worried they're going to be out of their depth really fast. <laughs> Which, yeah. by the way, they will be. <laughs> and, and, I, and I and I think <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I I th- but I think the it's the it's the internal getting yourself comfortable with being uncomfortable and yes. and being comfortable with being ignorant and ignorant truly mm. meaning just not knowing and you seeking don't. to learn right right um, right i think mlk mlk junior talked about this like he was quoted saying something like white people as part of their superiority think that they have so very little to learn when it comes to oh my gosh like when it comes to um just race it matters of yeah. race, and I and I think yeah. that, that I think that can be extended, um, and expanded. Right, that if you're a, if you're a part of a majority, um, a part of a privileged class, it's easy for you to think that you just you don't need to learn, mm. but but being curious, right, and seeking to understand, is like one of the greatest signs of humility, and really, it's endearing. Like people. The, the, mm. the right people, in my experience, when I come to people and I say, hey, I really just want to understand. I want to learn from you. I genuinely want to learn. Mm. Those discussions go well because they, they do. Right. They go well because they you're do. humbling yourself to listen and to receive. Um, you know, I you, know you talk about you talk about the statistics and, and, the, and the, the about one in five today. Um, I think that really leads me well into the next question. So a good deal of your book discusses the future of work and the role mm. inclusion will play. You know, what are your predictions on how organizations will need to adapt to attract future diverse talent in the next 10 years? Oh my gosh. Well, they're all like woefully behind <laughs> already and have been. Uh, <laughs> it's like the ostrich with the head in the sand. I think, um, you know, when business is good and the economy is good, it, it covers, it's like high tide, you know, it covers up a lot of things that yeah. low tide reveals. Um, 
And I think a lot of people are too comfortable. You know, I just think that business leaders in particular, and to your point that you just made, right? If, if life is working out for me, like I'm economically uncomfortable, I'm not afraid of, you know, being pulled over, you know, as I'm driving, I'm not afraid for my child in the world, you know, all those things that are blind spots for some people, um, you can kind of sail on through life um, and, and through your work and being a leader, believe it or not, and not really be held accountable for a lot of these things. Um, people deny that it's it's an urgent situation, but I see it as a really urgent situation that the fact that, um, you know, the number of women and people of color at certain levels in companies, which I'm kind of obsessed with the mid-level because the mid-level is where people they're they're really tired of hanging on, like white knuckling it <laughs> through yeah. up the pipeline, trying to, you know, get supported, get promoted, get, you know, have somebody take an interest in them, have somebody run interference for them. You know, when you're under mentored and under supported and then you're underrepresented as well and you look around and you look up and you don't see anyone that, you know, we say you gotta see it to be it, you know, you get tired. And it's no wonder to me that the numbers in the representation of, of anyone who's not a straight white male have been kind of really flatlined, you know, and even the best and most progressive companies are really struggling to hold on to people to raise them up to the level where I want to see them, right, which is the executive level, because then then they can make all a whole world of difference. You know, an executive leader can, with one signature, you know, create a policy or address the pay gap. You know, they, they have so much power or hold a customer accountable um, or, or take a stance on a political issue in, in social media. And so if people if can't make it up there um, and we decide to bail out because it just proves too, too arduous right. and, we're, and we're just like physically tired and we're emotionally tired and the compassion fatigue and the emotional labor and all of it being the spokesperson for an entire community, um, it becomes too much. And, you know, then we leave and we create our own businesses, which is a great solution, <laughs> which is, you know, the thing I did, right. <laughs> you know, because I was like, this is not going to work for me. Um, but it, but that's, that's a loss because not everybody is set up to be an entrepreneur. You know, right. you need, you need a lot of capital. You need, you need yeah. talk about privilege. You know, you need yes. certain things in place in order to make that work. And it's just not tenable for most people. So workplaces have to work for people, for all of us. Right. Um, so the future of work, um, you know, I get asked a lot about quotas and targets. I personally, I, I, I hesitate to say this like super publicly because companies are really twitchy about requirements and quotas yeah. um, and you get a lot of pushback. But mm-hmm. I honestly, I'm at a point where I feel like if it's, people are left to their own devices, change doesn't happen. And if mm-hmm. change does happen, um, it's slow and it's not widespread, and it's too slow to make a meaningful difference in the short amount of time we have to really see change. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the house is on fire. <laughs> um, you know, I think economically, people are uh, falling behind. They're not getting promoted. They're therefore missing out on economic growth and opportunity and wealth. And um, you know, I'm just I'm just not seeing it. And at the time when the world is changing so fast, and companies are not keeping up with it. And so, is the is the bottom line impacted? Is ROI um, measured? You know, we really we have to have like an honest conversation about losing customers and clients and and um, people leaving the organization. And companies have to wake up and say, you know, if we don't do something really serious about this, um, we're going to be sitting in the same exact place in ten years. So, you know, I, I'm all for the more radical solutions. You know, I think honestly, I think slates. Interview slates need to have a required number of women on them and a required number of people of diverse ethnicities. Um, LGBTQ is tough because we don't disclose. So the companies I work with struggle with something called Mm. self-identification. We don't trust our company. And this is just speaks volumes. We don't trust our companies enough to check a box about who we really are. So we can't be counted. (laughs) So, you know, there has to be like faith that we exist in organizations upwards of maybe 10% of the population because we're only on paper. We're only recorded at like one person. Yeah. And that's Be- just not accurate. Right? Which is no, it's not accurate, but we're, we're doing that because we're terrified, right? You know, we're terrified of losing our job. We're terror. We're, we're just even in the best companies. Like, so, and that's true for people with disabilities too, but I think companies have to, 
and I think they're going to get pushback if they if they roll things out like this. They're going to get a lot of pushback. Yeah. People are going to say, "I don't want to be forced to." You know, I I believe in a meritocracy, and I want to hire the best person for the job. And right. you can't force me to hire a candidate that's less than. And what right. my answer to that is, if you did a good job of having enough of a pipeline of all kinds of talent. It wouldn't just be one candidate you're looking at and you're feeling like somebody has a you know is forcing you right. holding your feet to the fire to hire right. them. You would have lots of choices. Right. And so we've got to do a better job of filling that pipeline, keeping people in the pipeline, not letting them leave, <laughs> right. and um, and and investing in them so that they feel they can thrive at a company long term instead of wanting to bail out because they can't stand it anymore. You know, that's just the sad commentary on workplace culture. But unfortunately, I think it's the experience of tons of people that I talk to. Well, no, the thing about it is the, ch the challenge with it is like your, your earlier point around change, like not, you know, that it, if left to its own device, will happen so, so incrementally, so small that it won't so be. So slowly. It won't happen. And I think. It won't be meaningful. It won't be it meaningful. It won't even be big enough. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think when you look at American history and you look at the history of civil rights in this country, it's really, I, I don't, I just don't know if we have, I don't know if we have like a tangible example of truly radical sustained change from a culture perspective in this country i think when you look across mm -hmm. especially when you look at like this current presidency it's actually it's actually forced a lot of yes. people to really like look at the history of race relations in america mm -hmm. especially if you want to examine like the past 55 60 years and you mm -hmm. look at and if you look at like the um the the economic uh, positioning of blacks today versus blacks in 1967 um, mm. you know like you don't see the needle moving much at all in fact in certain way in, in a lot of um, uh, areas you see the mo needle moving down so it's it's interesting right. so I 100% agree with you that there needs to be um, some genuinely radical I'm use the word again radical <laughs> change yeah. and thought in terms of just what it's going to look like because um, and we talk about this in another interview too we talk about the future of work and talk about the future of learning and education, you know, as as the economy shifts and changes and um, more and more folks are not going to school because school is going to continue to get more mm -hmm. expensive. And like all mm -hmm. like all of that's going to it's going to create a completely new environment that I don't know if we're really taking the time to really examine and consider. <laughs> I know when when we are, we're still having the conversation with managers to say, hey, you know, don't hire from the school you went to. That's bias. Right. <laughs> you know, literally, that's where we are. We, you know, you're t that you're talking are. about like the 3.0, which is literally that people are not going to have these traditional college degrees or any degree. They'll go to trade school they right. or whatever it is. Like they're going to have completely non-traditional backgrounds. They will have been, you know, previously incarcerated. Right. Um, they will be, you know, different statuses. And we have to figure out like workplaces need all the talent they can get. And yet they're completely behind in terms of how they seek that talent, where they look. People like throw their hands up so too easily, you yeah. know, to say, oh, we just couldn't find anyone. <laughs> you know, it's just like endless, uh, the stories I hear. And I just, it, I don't know, it's laziness. It's, it's, um, I don't even know. I mean, it depends on the day, like how cynical I am about it all. <laughs> but I don't know. I just have like, really, like if you really wanted to, to find people, they're there. And I believe me, like, cause I'm on Twitter and like, like black twitter is on fire like yes you know the, the number of angel investment groups the number yes. of vcs the number of startups the yeah. number of co black girls who code yes like there's such a great community to recruit from and i just i wonder like what is it what is it that people aren't doing or won't do um what are what like what is the holdup? Oh um, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, you know what, Jennifer? I'm gonna say this. Hold on. You, you know what? You you're a real one. I appreciate you. That's a really <laughs> good call out because you're absolutely right. Like Black Twitter is popping, and like there's so much, there's so yeah. many pools, right, of talent for you to right, engage. Right. There, there's Black Code Gosh. Collective, like in DC. Like right. there's all types of stuff. Like there yeah. are people, and like to your point around like how people are learning today, there are people who went to went to culinary school and then like are now yes. learned how to code. And like that's so awesome. They're and they're good at it, right? Like yeah, there are communities now that will welcome you in for free. You will you can learn and you can genuinely understand and learn how to code. And so mm. there's plenty of um, opportunity 
to to deepen your pipeline. So yeah, so that's a really good point. It's like there are things that people either aren't doing or choosing not to do, but the talent right. is definitely out there. Um, you know, you talked about pet, you talked about um, cynicism. I think that really leads to that to my next question. Like, can we take a step back and just talk about like DNI or IND as an industry, right? Like, oh. there's- <laughs> uh, speaking of cynicism, I want to. I don't know where you're going with this. I'm ready to go there with you too. So, so there's a growing. I think I know. <laughs> so there's a growing sentiment, right, that the largest voices who are advocating for diversity and inclusion in highly visible and corporate or corporatized spaces mm. are themselves members of the majority, and by relation, have some inherent blind spots within the subject matter that they espouse expertise in. Mm. Um, do you find any merit to that concern? And like, if so, what have you done to challenge your own blind spots? And you spoke to this a little bit earlier, but I'd love for you to expound on that. And if you have any other advice you would give to others. Mm, that is such an interesting observation. It's funny because I could make the counter argument that I think we're in a time like you ask any white uh, diversity leader right now. Yeah. And their credibility is questioned on a daily basis to be in the role they're in. <laughs> yeah. Like that—that uh, that is the truth. Yeah. And in fact, they get like threats. Um, really? I've seen some. Be- yeah, I've seen some people get some serious heat um, just for the having the audacity of even having the position or accepting that position. Oh wow. Um, yeah. So it's in- so there's many stories right on all sides of this issue. Um, and like I said, I think, I don't know if I said early, but earlier, but when you're in the marginalized community, it, it also doesn't mean that you're a great leader on inclusion That's necessarily, true. That's true. necessarily, Yeah. because I've seen plenty of, you know, like we were talking about white gay men at Stonewall who are, you know, can be like very misogynistic, very racist, very, you know, and, and so, um, that can carry forward into a diversity leader role, but that doesn't mean that all of them are, are totally, you know, not effective practitioners. And it also doesn't mean because you're a person of color that you're an effective practitioner. That's right. right? That's so right. to me, you, and you respect this, it's a skill set. You know, it, it is a yeah. skill set, but it is also your identity, right? Yeah. And it's how you deal with your identity in the world. Um, and it's how you integrate those two things that makes you an effective voice. But also you've got to be an incredibly savvy change agent to have these roles. I mean, um, they're very difficult roles. They're, they're the, some of the most complex roles that exist, I think, in business because it's part influencing, it's part executive, you know, believability, credibility, um, it's passion, it's change agility, it is um, storytelling, right? And being like, but incredibly data oriented and, you know, convincing and, and knowing the business so that you can make the business case, right? So you need to know the business you're in in order to make the argument for DNI. And you've got to be able to do all those things. And by the way, you're probably part of a marginalized community and you're dealing with all of the biases personally, right. like that you're getting at the same time as you're leading an entire institution, like through this morass, you know, through these really difficult, tense and, you know, complex times. So it's really like one of the toughest roles. And I have so much respect. I worry about our practitioner community, um, both on the consulting side, but really our internal, my mm. internal clients, because yeah. they're just, they're, they're holding up, you know, this planet, <laughs> um, these giant organizations. But anyway, but to answer your question, who's allowed and who has permission to do this work? It's a very good question. I mean, I've been questioned, um, you know, because no, somebody hasn't dug into who I am and has judged me just based on what I look like. Yeah. And um, and that that's okay. I mean, I would say, you know, it, it, it hurts me, but whatever, like that doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it's it's most important. I think for us not to judge each other. I think for us to look at the skill set objectively. Mm. Um, but I do think the optics of people in these roles are important. Like you have to be a really amazing, humble leader. Like you you have to be you have to be really deep in the work. I think to take on that role as a majority identity. If you're say you're a white guy. I don't know a lot of actually white straight guys in these roles. Yeah. I do know white gay guys. Um, and they, every day, their privilege is pointed out to them. Every day. Yeah. Nobody lets them forget that they have an enormous responsibility in that role. Yeah. And that, like, they have a lot of work to do. And you talk to any of them, and I know some of my clients are, are, are that identity. And um, it's a tough lift for them. Um, I know some straight white women. Um, and again... 
again, they're pretty enlightened people. Like they, and they're yeah. very humble and they're very like, uh, they've been studying this for a long time. Yeah. Some of them have sort of really personal relationships. I know a lot of gay white women actually in these roles. Yeah. Um, and they, and sometimes I know gay women of color in these roles hmm. and they're amazing. I mean, amazing, amazing. Um, uh, like in the intersectionality they can bring to it is deep. Yeah. Um, and I find, I, I, not to say like, well, you know, certain combinations of identities are like more potent, but to be able to speak to so many different identities in your, your workforce oh, yeah. d- in a direct way, yeah. you know, there, there's kind of, you know, that's, that's a wonderful shortcut to be able to, to be able to do that. And on top of that, be like somebody who's like been in HR for 20, you know, and is super right. savvy about playing the politics and right. all the other things you need for the role. Um, but I would like to think we all have a role to play. I will tell you some inside baseball. Sometimes I get asked to send, you know, a well man to a consulting engagement. Um, mm. And that is true. Mm. And we will push back. We will say, you know, we're not sure that's the right answer. And let's talk about it. Um, and, you know, it's sometimes strangely, it is the right answer for certain yeah. groups yeah. Um, who've been really, really recalcitrant and resistant. And the messenger matters sometimes more than the message like certain people can be heard in certain ways and um we know this is true so um so we that's why we have such tremendous diversity on our consulting team because we just we have to get creative sometimes and make sure that we build a pairing for example that's going to be in front of a room that maybe the client is really really struggling to be heard in front of this business unit or this team or this you know um office in a certain region in the country um and we'll, we'll need to switch it out you know, we'll need to put a different voice in front of people to see, you know, and my, and sadly, sadly, the messenger is something that needs to be considered. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let it rest and I wouldn't not challenge it. Um, but I, I do think we've got to use every change tool in our arsenal, particularly with those who are really resistant and really stuck. And I think experiencing a lot of bias um, per the messenger that they're hearing the message from. You know, I have to be really careful. I can't be the angry woman and the angry gay person. And I can't imagine what it would be like delivering that truthful message that I do and also being a person of color, right? I'm very aware that I have a lot more latitude for my quote unquote passion sure. to come through, right? And to be, <laughs> yeah. and not to have it seen as being threatening. No, absolutely. You know? yeah, absolutely. And you know, your, your point around like changing up the messenger and mixing it up. It's really interesting because um, in the work that I've done, I'm, I have a similar strategy and it's interesting because I do that without even being asked. Like I'll just be like, look, I know that mm-hmm. for this, I just need to have um, a really um, approachable white face to, li- to right. deliver this message and, um, mm-hmm. and, and their partners for me in that. And honestly, Jennifer, I do that even just at work. Like if I have a big meeting, of course. right? Like <laughs> if I have a big <laughs> oh, meeting or, or like, you know, there's just something going on. I was like, okay, I really want to share this thing, but I know that if I say it, then, it's going to get an eye roll or it's not going to be heard. So let me go ahead and mobilize this white right. woman or You're this white guy. I, yeah, yes. And let me, and then I'll have them say it or I will let them know I wish that, that I'm about to say, say it again. <laughs> right. I just wish that weren't true. Like that you have to do that. And that's to me, that's like the extra tax that we pay. Right. You know, that's extra labor, <laughs> right. you know, that you have to literally not only have the brilliant idea, but you have to like strategize about who, who's like sitting next to you or, you know, backing yeah. you up. <laughs> when you have a brilliant idea or like who's going to echo your, you know, like, but it's, you know, women, women deal with this and we all know this is like a fact of life. I mean, but, but I, I appreciate what you're bringing up that it's, it's a universal experience for so many of us. And if we look at it on the bright side, let's like look at it as glass half full, which I always do. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I think, (laughs) I think this all makes us really savvy like very emotionally intelligent, right? Because as limited as our audience might be, um, it doesn't just make us, <laughs> it sort of sharpens our saw. I mean, I think when you have to think about how am I going to get this group over the finish line? Like, how am I going to get them to listen to me, to believe in what I say and to give me the credibility when I'm walking in the room and I know what they're thinking about me? How am I going to do that? And um, to me, it's like a, you know, it's a brain twister, um, but it, but it makes you be very creative. And by the way, I hope in enlisting those allies that they know why they're being enlisted and that it really raises their awareness, the permutations that 
so many of us go through in the workplace to be heard. Um, you know, that's a really important learn to, to be approached by someone to say, hey, would you have my meeting? I'm going to bring this up. And, you know, it, it, to me, that is like such a sad commentary. And at the same time, it's such a demonstration of how far we have to go yeah. for people to be heard and the space that we all have to learn to hold for each other. Yes. Like we've got to do that. You know what? We need to do that without being asked. That's, that's right. what. That's where I really want to get. Right? That's right. So that if I'm in this meeting and I hear you bring up this brilliant idea, you don't even need to ask me to have your back. Like I am going to instinctively know if you're talked over or somebody steals your idea or somebody poo-poo's it, that I'm going to intervene and I'm going to know what's going on. And that to me, that would be sort of nirvana in the workplace where you know you that that those pre-conversation that pre-planning that you just described doesn't even need to happen right because everyone knows it's an issue and everyone's on guard for it like can you imagine like if we were all like oh no 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 you know she is not going to be talked over or his you know his idea is not going to be dismissed right you know and i'm going to quote it and i'm going to bring the attention back to him yeah. And his, you know, his, it's like the women in the Obama cabinet. I love that story where they, they literally decided like that this is not going to happen anymore. And they all banded together and made the plan. Yes. <laughs> and I then they that. went into, the, I know they went into the meeting and they all like echoed each other's ideas and mentioned each other by name and made eye contact with other women in the room. So they sort of yeah. redirected everybody's attention. Um, I'm still, believe it or not, if I go into a meeting with my male colleague, uh, they will talk to him. I believe like, that. It still happens to me. I believe oh, that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm the CEO and he works for me, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it's still a thing. And and he's really good because he'll, like, redirect back to me. Like, he'll... Uh, actually, Miss like, Brown, what do you think? <laughs> yes. Well, he'll say, well, as Jennifer always says. Yes. <laughs> right. As the, as somebody who is an acknowledged expert. In yes. That, I love that. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we need to do that. Uh, and that would be Nirvana. So, I, I really talk about that a lot in my book it's like the emotional labor of having to ask for help i really really wish more of us would know that help is needed like we would know the data we would know the research you know for god's sake like read the mckinsey report on oh, women yes, that they a, do every oh, it's yeah so good. it's so good like and you'll realize that women of color have different headwinds than white women just oh, just yeah. that you know and if you go into meetings and you see this dynamic and you have any level of privilege any level of positional power um, where you're listened to in a different way um, you need to activate that so yes. that you change those numbers and those outcomes like you must do that and it's such a small thing this takes two seconds like that's the thing when people are like oh inclusion takes so much time and I'm so busy and you know I don't know how it, it competes with yeah. the business priorities and right. I have a long list and like I'm already strapped for you know time and I don't think this takes a lot of time it just takes a moment of attention to bias your own others a moment to a, a, a quick conversation to check in with somebody a, a request for feedback a hey you know I want to follow up you, up with you after that meeting like I really thought your idea was great. Um, I, I, I want to support you. You know, how can I do more of that? That took, takes uh, two seconds to say. And like you said earlier, it's so welcome. Like, I think that's the, that when people are like, I don't know how to start that conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's like most of these conversations are like um, a gift to yes. so many people who are never asked these questions to begin yes. with. Yes. Right. So please approach me, ask me, how can you support me more differently? What could you say in a meeting? What could you say after a meeting to someone when I'm not around? You yeah, know, I think that's the other piece. Yeah. Right. Like give feedback to people that look like you. Like I always say, I say, you know, men listen to other men Yeah. in a very different way. Yeah. And so, you know, if you've got that privilege of being listened to, you know, the messenger, not just the message and, and you can take the burden off of my shoulders to have a hard conversation with somebody to say, Hey, that joke made me uncomfortable. Mm. Like that's a very risky move for me to do. It is. Cause I, you know, that is, that is drawing attention to my difference. Yep. I have no idea how that person's going to react. Um, and so I really, as a woman, I really appreciate men who proactively are like, what can I do to really, it's kind of protect you in a way. And it's not protect in a sort of damsel in distress kind of way. It is, it is literally like it could be protecting an idea. It can be, you know, making sure you don't fall victim to politics in the office. Right. It can be that I represent you when you're not in the room and I talk about how brilliant you are. You know, it, it's that kind of thing. 
um, because otherwise we're sort of hanging out in the wind. And um, one of the things I always say is, is diverse talent is under-mentored and very under-sponsored, which means that we're not, um, we literally aren't looked after, like yeah. informally. We are not, somebody's not like, well, let me have that career conversation with her to make sure that she's up for that role so that she has PL experience so that she's then positioned so she can get that promotion because there's all these like unspoken and unwritten rules that we're not privy to when you're not in the power structure. And um, so I often task people I speak to to say like, look at the people you mentor, look at the people you sponsor. Do they look like you? You know, if they do and you are a certain demographic, like you must remedy that. Like you, you've got to be mentoring across different sponsoring across different and by the way, you it should be reverse mentoring as well. It should be mutual so that you're learning. To your point earlier, like how are you getting your learning about cultural differences? It's in the context of these really, really important one-on-one relationships. So wherever you can power share, wherever you can be influenced or learn somebody's experience, as a senior executive, your biggest risk is that you're isolated from all of this. And therefore... You're not an effective leader. You're not positioning yourself for the future. You're harming your company because you're setting this vision every day, but you, you, there's so much you don't know. So, you know, I think, I think that's a good wake up call for people usually. And if that doesn't work, <laughs> what, what, I don't know. I, I give up. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I've given you now two books to read, you know, 63 podcast episodes. Right. <laughs> you know, come on. What more do you want from <laughs> what me? What more do you need? It's right, writing on the wall. Wake up, you know, get, get, get on the train, yes. you know, and, um, and be willing to make mistakes as we were talking about earlier. And, you know, even know how to do a good apology because, you know, I think there's there's a real art to the a real apology too. I think you said earlier there's nothing worse than somebody who like says all the right things, but in this like really authentic kind of faux, yes, polished way. You know what? Um, you, you know what? We're gonna have to have you back just to talk about the topic of apologizing. Effect. Uh, yeah, right. Like I love real. that apology. I mean, I love that topic. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, no, you're good. I love, but a good apology can make up for everything, and it and and it's all it's almost like a required skill set particularly for those in the majority because things are going to happen like you're going to mess it up you are and so being comfortable with uncomfortable comfortable with hard feedback and and to me not slinking away into the corner but saying thank you so much for that and i'm going to try it again and i'm going to do it differently like wouldn't that resilience be really neat to hear and see in our leaders it would it would be great yeah i know and i you know, believe it or not, I'm actually a little bit encouraged coming out of this conversation. This has been really, <laughs> really? Good. yeah, I am. Oh, I am. That's I am. good because we talked about some cynical stuff. But <laughs> we did, we did, but but it was real though. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's such a mixed bag. But you said earlier, like we're living in these really interesting times of awakening, and you're right. Like I think I think ever since the 2016 election, I would say is when so many people and so many companies were like, oh my goodness. You know, MLK Jr., the arc of the moral universe long, but it bends towards justice. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, but guess what? We have to bend the arc. Like right. the arc It'll isn't going to bend itself. itself. Right. Like that's, <laughs> that's the thing. So to me, we got to take that and bend it. And I think what we realized is it's not this destiny. You know, um, we're not, things aren't going to happen without, and they aren't going to happen because of good intentions. They're not going to happen because we have maybe progressive values. They're not going to happen because, oh, I'm a male leader and I have daughters. So therefore, like, I'm an expert on gender equality. No, (laughs) no. Like, you have to do something and you have to do something publicly, consistently, constantly. Um, I use the book and the example in the book of Mark Benioff, who is the CEO of Salesforce, who discovered he had a huge pay gap. And literally wrote a check for $3 million, like right away. And was like, I'm going to gross up pay for people because I'm not going to let this stand another day. Then we're going to like do the harder work, right? Which is rooting out like, why did this happen in the first place? Right. And, and then as, as he's done this, he does it every year now. 
They've de- discovered, by the way, pay gap, not just gender, but ethnicity pay gaps. Not surprising. Right. Um, and then they've acquired so many tens of companies that also had pay gaps as Salesforce acquired them. And they had to do a, a new audit, you know, and to look at their pay gaps and, you know, gross it up. And, you know, so literally there are people that are that are just being relentless on this um, because under their watch, they aren't going to let this persist. Um, and so I do see a lot of courage amongst leaders, and that leaves me really hopeful. Um, I wish I saw it more, and I wish I saw it more publicly. I think I think there's a lot of really interesting conversations going on privately with lawyers and you know the board, and you know, and sometimes I'm privy to those, and I'm really really heartened by the interest I see um, in the C-suite. I, I have to say, like people are people are getting it, and I think their question now is how do we change it. Yeah. And that's a that's a much harder question to answer when you're dealing with a, a giant organization that does business all over the world and um, has to contend with laws in various parts of the world. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's hard to know where to start. And I think that's where people are at, but they want to start. And that's that's a relief to me. I mean, it makes my job easier because I'm not fighting the why is this important battle all the time. We're able to, like, roll up our sleeves and consider you know, okay, let's get started. And it doesn't need to be perfect. We're not going to accomplish everything in the first year. I love that you want gender parity, you know, next year. <laughs> but please don't, please right. don't shout that from the rooftops and promise <laughs> it to your board. Because, yeah. you know, you have some problems and you don't just want to fix things cosmetically. You really want to build it to last, Absolutely. you know. So um, I, I am hopeful too. I mean, otherwise I, I wouldn't be in this space. It'd be just too damn frustrating. No, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Jennifer, this has been an amazing conversation. And <laughs> I know. I, I feel like we can keep on going, but before, before we go, um, do you have any parting words or shout outs? Oh my gosh. Well, can I give people uh, the info about where to find me and do my work? All of that. Let it go. Awesome. 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 Okay. So my new book is coming out August, How to Be Inclusive Leader. That's my second book. My first book is called Inclusion. Um, and it came out, as I said, in 2016 good timing at the end of the year um my podcast is called the will to change and i um i call it true stories of diversity and inclusion i've had some really amazing people on there and on twitter i'm at jennifer brown yes i've been on twitter for 10 years i got my own name it's pretty awesome uh, i love twitter i learned like we talked about earlier learned so much so much from those long threads where everybody's arguing about things like <laughs> please read them study them <laughs> uh, listen a lot you know, start to, you know, study your language and, and um, get ideas for how you should approach things. Twitter is great for that. Um, and disturbing for all the re- all the reasons that we've, um, that we know. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Brown speaks on Instagram and then um, Facebook and LinkedIn. I think I'm Jennifer Brown consulting, but um, you know, if people are interested in getting on our mailing list, please go to jenniferbrownspeaks.com and right on the homepage, you can join um, and please pick up a copy of the, second book which is really about the conversation we had today it's honestly about folks who are kind of sitting on the sidelines um how can you get into the fray but in a thoughtful way in a way that doesn't cause more labor for others um how do you do that get ready to apologize because you probably (laughs) will need to um but get in to the game you know even if it's in a very small way even if it's in a private way um just begin you know, and I, I think that if I could have more leaders sort of be less intimidated about the whole process and, and show a way forward, um, it's like, come in, the water's warm. Like, you won't get, I hope you won't get hurt. Um, you know, there might be some high feelings, but but everyone is needed because the task is enormous. Um, and so that's my goal to kind of make it more comfortable for people to do more. So, Jennifer, um, first of all, two things. We're going to make sure we have all the information in the show notes. So we'll make sure. Thank everybody you. Knows that. And then we'll, you. we also on the website have um, our own favorite things. And we'll make sure to have both of your books listed as favorite oh, things. So you're we the got best. you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, Jennifer, um, we you. definitely consider you a friend of the show. We can't wait to have mm. you back. We'll talk soon. Count me in. Always. All Thank right. you. Peace. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. 
Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.